0: You're probably aware, uh, last week and today and next week, I want to focus on the issue or the topic or the idea or the reality of marriage. Last week I talked about giving, I'm sorry, last week we talked about choosing, today about giving and next week about trusting. Um, To go back to last week for a second, I heard something just this week that has made me think about that and I'm just going to share it, it's a true story and it's very brief but it kind of capsules the idea of the essence of marriage is choosing someone. Um, a, a guy said that he was visiting some friends and while he was there they had a phone call came and the wife answered the the call and then after a while she asked for her husband to come and he got on the line and he said I could tell it was a very serious conversation that was going on kind of lengthy. Finally it ended and they came back and the the, the, the man said to his friend who was visiting, well, that was our daughter on the phone. Uh, she has been recently married, and they just had their first major fight. And she called because she wants to come home. And so the friend said, well, what did you tell her? He said, I told her she was home. That's choosing. Um... I like to talk today on the issue or idea of giving. Oh here's here's a here's a marriage, a wedding joke, first of all. A guy said he went he went to a wedding and it was these two these two people were employees of a nuclear power plant. And the bride was just radiant and the groom glowed. Okay. Uh. I guess that was one of those weddings where the bride just looks stunning and the groom just looks stunned. <laughs> True story. Uh, years ago, I was using a, a tool that I use occasionally, with, that I use sometimes either for premarital counseling or marital counseling. It's a temperament analysis. And what that means is you answer a bunch of questions, about 150 so questions about yourself. They're just yes or no questions. And then you answer those same questions about your husband-to-be or your wife-to-be or your current spouse. And what I do then is I take the answers you, you gave and the answers they gave, and we put them together, and we can compare them, and I put them on a graph form so that this couple can have an idea. It helps in a, in a, in a sort of an objective way to see how well they know each other. Because if the one says the other one is outgoing and extrovert, and, and they say about themselves, oh no, I'm an introvert, and I'm quiet, it kind of gives you some rich conversation. Why do you say he's like this, and he says he's not like this, and so forth. Some of you have gone through that with me, I know. Um, in this, in, because I put it on a graph, it, it just kind of happens that when I go over this with a couple, I almost they have to be able to see it. So often, if I'm in my office, I'll sit at my desk and lay these papers out and they can sit in front of the desk. That way they can see what I'm talking about as we go through it. We can all see on the paper what I'm referring to. Uh, years ago, I was with a, a couple who uh, was, had been married for a few years and um, I believe it was a second or third marriage for both of them. And their marriage was coming apart, coming to pieces. They'd asked me if I would be involved with them. And so I used one of these personality inventories. And because I wasn't in an office, I was in their living room, in their home. Uh, The only way that I could figure out how they could see these papers while I'm talking about the papers uh, was for them to sit down on either side of me. So I sat down on the couch and I said, how about you sit here and you sit here? And that way I can hold the papers out. And we can all see what I'm talking about. So they did. And we hadn't gone long very far into this process when I was going over one of the items there. And, and I asked him why he said this or why he characterized his wife in this way. And he said, because she's tight and stingy and she's self-centered and because uh, she never gives me anything. She just, she just in it for what she can get out of it. And before I could even get this response in my head, I felt something on the back of my neck. And she had leaned back and gone, pow! (laughs) Across my back, she slugged him. (laughs) And while I'm trying to uh, process this, he leans up around her, pow! Punches her right back. And the first thing I know, it, it happened like this. I'm sort of going back and forth like this. Because they're in a fist fight around me. And uh, got interesting. She didn't give any weight to him. She was right husky, and she could hold her own. And uh, as I well know, <laughs> I think I got a few elbows out of it. Um, of course, this you know sad this marriage scene was typical, apparently, of what was happening and so forth. But the trigger that set it off was his acu- his accusation to her. As she's just in it for what she can get out of it. and she never, she never gives anything to him. She never, uh, she never really reaches out to him. She's just interested in him for what he can offer to her. And as you can see in that little opening paragraph, that's the idea that I want to really zero in on. And I believe the scripture from the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, this scripture touches that very issue. Last week, we read in the first chapter, the beginning section that said, I've loved Esau, I've loved Jacob, and I've hated Esau, and, and discussed how this means that this hatred that's spoken of means that God has excluded others because he has chosen the one. In other words, he's not into competition. He's made his choice. He's settled on this one that he has loved. And nobody else can interfere. And if you try, then you will be, you will be rebuked for that. In verse 6 of chapter 1, he read, it reads this way. Just hang with me for a moment. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament world of sacrifices And of the Lord speaking his anger through this prophet. And we'll come back to marriage. A son honors his father. This is the Lord speaking. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how? Uh, Throughout this writing of Malachi he uses this technique where God makes an accusation and the people say how why how could this be acting sort of over the top with a very uh, big expression of innocence so the Lord says you show contempt for me and you say how are we doing that as if uh, you would have no idea how have we shown contempt? And here's the Lord's answer, verse 7. You placed defiled food on my altar. This is under the old sacrificial system in the temple when there were uh, there was sacrifices that were brought, rams and calves, and rams and sheep and cattle and even birds that came, and goats. And, and he says, you have put defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. In other words, you're saying, you're telling people, you priests who give instruction, you're telling people, it don't matter what you bring. Just bring something, you know, we're, we're obligated to bring a sacrifice. So just bring whatever, like if you've got a, you know, if it's your chicken got run over by a passing car, you just peel it off the road and bring it in. It really don't matter what you bring. The Lord's table is, is it really doesn't matter. That's what they're saying. By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. would Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. So the issue is, what are we giving? Now, implore God to be gracious to you with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh that you would shut the temple doors. In other words, the Lord is getting so steamed up, so worked up, so angry about the fact that people are bringing Him sacrifices that are absolutely no value to them, and that's their, quote, gift to Him. The more He thinks about it, the more the steam begins to come out of His ears, and He says, I wish you'd just shut the temple doors. I'm, just, I'm, I'm done with this whole system because you are making a mockery out of Me by giving me gifts that you didn't spend a penny for, or giving me gifts that it's a relief to you to give because you wanted to get rid of it anyway. I'm actually helping you out by taking these sacrifices, these animals that, that were diseased and they were going to die anyway. This is the thinking that God is saying. Shut the temple door so that you would not light useless fires on my altar, because I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hand. My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offering will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying at the Lord's table, it is defiled and it's food, it is contemptible. And you say about the things that you are supposed to and expected to be giving, you say, what a burden. Really? i got to bring an offering? Really? I have to bring a sheep? But all my sheep are nice. I don't want to give up one of my sheep. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed, Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it and then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among all the nations. I think that scripture is very self-explanatory. Why it is that God's angry. He's angry because they promise to give him the best and then they don't. They give him whatever is left over when they finish selling off the best or using it for their own selves. And even though they made a promise to him to give to him from the, you know, the, the flawless animals from their flock, he says they go back on that and they just give him whatever because they're obligated to give something. So that's my explanation of that passage. And I think it's quite apparent how it is that this can tie into being married. Being a husband and wife. This issue of giving. What do I give my partner? Do I give them the leftovers of my life? Or do I give them the very best? The very top? Do I give them the, the, the kind of time and attention and so forth that I would never even give anybody else? Because this is my husband. This is my wife. And like God is saying about himself there... I don't deserve what you have left after you've given to everybody else. So, by using this as an analogy to marriage, I'm saying neither does your husband or your wife. By the way, I mentioned this last week, I'll stop and say it again, if you're not married, for whatever reason, please don't get up and leave, but just listen and, and pray for those who are married. If you happen to be divorced... Please understand that these messages about marriage in no way are condemning you or looking down at you in any way, shape, or form. Every divorce, uh, every person who's going through a divorce has had their own set of circumstances to deal with, and, and none of us can condemn or do condemn you. At the same time, we, we, we need to positively think about what marriage is, even though it doesn't work for everyone in the way that they had intended and dreamed and wanted and promised. So I want to mention just several things in this area of giving. The first one is probably our most precious asset that any of us have in this whole life, and that is time. When we make the commitment, and we say for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, to have to hold till death do us part, what we're we're promising the animals from our flock that we're promising to bring to the altar of marriage, of all of them, the top foremost, most prestigious that we have is our time. It's not your cooking ability, ladies. Wonderful as that is, it's not as precious as your time. And so uh, I, I just want us to think about for a second how much time we have and how much time we give to other things in our, in our busy lives. It's a lot. We have constant demands on our time. <clears throat> and so the only way that you can be sure that you are actually giving the best. You're giving what your husband or your wife deserves. And what you promised them is to give time, to make the giving of time such a priority that you actually carve it out somehow. I'm not offering a technique. I'm not selling calendars or, or, or you know iPhones with the calendar on. I'm, not, I'm only saying you've got to make time and then you have to take time you got to take the time you make for your marriage. I'm not saying that taking time has to be some extravagant, expensive vacation somewhere. Could be. Don't have to be. And you know there's many variety of ways that we can take time. But you know also how easy it is to slip away from that and fall uh, into a pattern where you're your schedules are kind of intermeshing like little gears, but yet you're not really sitting down beside each other and saying, "Now, who are you again? Tell me what your name is again. I forget. And just going back and reconnecting and and making time uh, giving time to your marriage. These people were giving animals, but they were not giving animals with a positive attitude at all. They were grudge, They were filled with. Uh, they gave them gr- very grudgingly. Oh, I guess I got to take another goat up to the temple. I'm afraid sometimes that that attitude comes through in marriage. Oh, I guess I got to take some time and do something with my wife. Uh, same deal. Same same uh, point. That, that the Lord is speaking about here. And so, my, my point is that the essence or the reality of this time is when you make marriage time or partnership time, when you take time that's, that is relationship time, however, I have here talking, worshiping, planning, playing, can be a lot of different things that you, uh, that you do together. Uh, Cindy and I as, was able to put our kayaks on the conga jig yesterday. And uh, thanks to Barry for g- giving us some guidance there. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about this time. It was more walking than it was kayaking. The water was about this deep most places. And it was quite a chore. But you know, we, 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 we were together and we were doing something that we enjoyed and we were doing it together. And I'm simply saying what this does when we take time together, whatever it it might be, time you're just sitting beside each other in the living room, watching or reading or doing something. doesn't matter what it is. It matters that you express the importance of your marriage by time, that you give. We need to give time. I'm always brought to my senses. By a question they came and they asked Jesus. This is in the Gospels. I, I looked it up, but I forget where it is. It came to Jesus and they said, Why is it that you and your disciples don't fast? Every other rabbi and, and their disciples, they go through these rituals and they give time to and they give credence to fasting. And, and this solemn and, and uh, difficult uh, idea of going without food and walking around probably looking like you, you just felt terrible because you're, you're so hungry and helping, hoping people feel sorry for you because you're fasting and you're seeking God and so forth. And they said, why don't you do this like everybody else does? And Jesus said, oh, don't have time. That's exactly what he said. This is when the bridegroom is with the bride. Now later on, he says the groom will leave and the bride will have time. She can mourn, she can fast, she can do the things that may be. But right now, this is marriage time. This is bride and bridegroom time. This is our sacred time together. This is our joyful time together. And nothing's going to interfere with the time that we have. This is the time when the bride is with the groom. And this is time for happiness and rejoicing. It's in the time for fasting. That's what Jesus said. And it's the principle that kind of ties into uh, what, we, what we give and how we give it, and the gift being time. Now, here's a second. And that is, it's not always enough even to give time because of our human fallen nature being so flawed that we can be right there giving somebody time and not even giving them attention not even pay. My wife walked in the closet this morning. I was actually, I I put this tie on. I'm standing there tying this tie in the mirror. The closet door, our mirror is on the closet door. And I'm standing there tying this tie. She walked in behind me. I didn't notice. I didn't know. I didn't realize she was literally standing in the closet with me. And she said something about jumped out of my skin. I mean, you ever had somebody in the closet with you and you didn't know it? You know why I didn't know it? Because I wasn't paying attention. I was putting in time, but I wasn't aware. I wasn't paying attention. We need to not only just perfunctorily spend time. We need to pay attention to our husband or our wife. We need to ask questions. You know, I, I, I do not say this boastingly or braggingly in any way. I do not. But I am constantly amazed even sometimes appalled, when I will say to someone uh, something about a family member, often about a parent, and they had no idea, had no clue. Really? They didn't know They didn't know this or that about their mom or their dad or their parent. I've had people often come to me at funerals and say, Wow, I learned things about my dad today that I didn't even know. How did you find out these things? And I'm always amazed because all I do is pay attention. All I do is just ask questions. When I visit folks, I want to know what they're doing. I want to know what's important to them. I want to know what they've been through. I want to know what challenges they face, and I ask questions 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 and and that's the essence of actually noticing or being attention or, or uh, being aware we have to put ourselves in the the shoes of our husband or our wife and say, Well, you know um, maybe I'm a little disgusted or maybe i'm a little uh, disheartened, but what if I were in his shoes? Would I do any better or what are, and so we need to we need, to, we need to use this idea or this, this reality of paying attention. Here's a verse I want to direct your attention to just for a second. It's in 1 Peter 3. Very familiar verse. Okay. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, first it tells wives to respect their husbands and to honor their husbands. And then it comes down to the husbands. And says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate, this is the NIV I'm reading from, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And I've always been so, uh, I've always been so convicted by this particular word that says be considerate. As you live with your wives. I can't be considerate to something unless I consider it. And I can't consider something unless I pay attention to it. That's what it means. And I wanted you to to point this out. It's actually a combination of two or three Greek words that's translated here, consider. The Greek literally is the word to know and the word to live. It's a combination of those. And so it says and this this is uh, a little closer to the King James translations. The King James says, dwell with them according to knowledge. What it means is, or what it's saying in the, in the Greek terms are, live with them and get to know them. That's, that is literally the meaning of it. There's nothing wrong with translating consider. That's, that's the idea. But I'm just trying to dig a little deeper and say, it actually says... Pay attention to them even while you live with them. That is exactly its its phrase, its expression. Live with them and get to know them. Because it is possible that you can do the one without doing the other. We need to pay attention. I said I need to pay a closer attention to stuff. I found out the other day my wife and I have separate names for our cat. Another guy said, I need to pay attention too. My wife keeps packing me a salad for lunch. I need to figure out what I did wrong. We, just, we, need, we need to talk. We need to, we, we need to ask. We need to pay attention in that way. Here's a third item I want to mention. Forgiveness is not something that someone really can earn or demand. It has to be given. The Lord said, well, you're, you're coming in here with animals. I'll give you that. You're coming in here with your goats and your doves and your calves. But my, what stuff are you bringing me? And I think and fear that often as husbands and wives, we would say the same thing. Well, you said you would forgive me, I know, but what kind of forgiveness is this? I keep hearing about it again and again. I keep having to put up with hearing, yes, I know what I did. Yes, I've apologized. Yes, you've told me that you'll let it go, but you're not. And, and it's kind of like bringing a diseased animal. It's kind of like bringing a, a, a roadkill into the temple and saying, here's my sacrifice. It, it doesn't amount to a whole lot because it's not really real forgiveness that we're giving I want to remind you of a New Testament word that's mostly translated in the New Testament as forgive. It means literally to turn loose it means to let go. This is uh, the word Jesus used in the lord's Prayer, but it's used hundreds of times in the New Testament to to, to just to literally to turn loose and of course, you know. I don't know a better analogy or a better description of what it means to forgive. I'm not going to hold on to it anymore. It was bad. It was hurtful. And I'm going to let it go. This is, the, this is the reality of what forgiveness really is from God's eyes. In other words, this is the quality animal that I can bring in. I can be noble. I can be God-like. I can be forgiving. And I can say to you... My dear wife or my dear husband, we're going to let that one go. It doesn't mean that you, you clip out brain cells and you'd never remember that it happened. That's not the point. But the point is that even if you do remember it happened, you're not tying it to your emotions. You're not tying it to your choices or to your responses. You're, you're cutting it off from all that stuff and you're letting it go. Uh, here's another word that is used in the New Testament. To mean forgive it's often translated forgive and there's nothing wrong with that to with translating it forgive uh, to forgive but it's the it's a form of the word for grace it's a common you, you know you're familiar many of you with the word k- charis uh, which means to be great means grace mercy um, graciousness and so forth and we use the word "charis," K-A-R-I-S or C-H-A-R-I-S. We use it in many different settings. This is that word plus the form plus the word to give. So it's translated, for example, in Ephesians four thirty-two: "Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving of one another." It's a, it's a participle form, forgiving one another, but it's literally giving grace. It's what it's saying. It, it's 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 understanding that I'm not just giving something in a, a, a mental condition. I'm giving grace. I'm saying you don't deserve for me to treat you this way, but I am going to treat you this way. You don't deserve for me to uh, to treat you so kindly after you've treated me so rottenly, but I'm going to treat you kindly. I'm going to just bowl you over with the, with the kindness and the expressions of of every bit of support and grace that I possibly can, give grace to each other. This is this is giving forgiveness to one another. It's actually used in the New Testament of canceling a debt. It's actually also used of releasing a prisoner, which are very vivid uh, illustrations to us of what it means to give, to to give grace, or to give. It, of what it actually means. It means you give something that's not deserved. You give something beyond what would be expected. And, um, and this is what it means when you forgive your husband or your wife. You, you give them something that they perhaps didn't think they would ever, ever have. You give them another opportunity. You give them grace. This gift of grace is what enables a relationship to flourish rather than die. Okay, one more thought, and this this doesn't apply to one particular item, but just the closing thought that the giving needed in marriage to make a marriage thrive and flourish, the giving that God was looking for that he's, that he's woefully saying to the priest they're not giving to him, is simply giving the best that you can, the best that you have to your husband or to your wife, that you give first to them because they are at the top of your relationship pyramid. They are at the top of your priorities. You are loving them as you love yourself. And therefore, you give there to that husband or that wife the best that you have of Your own possibilities. The best that you can offer from your talents or your resources. You give them the best. That's your gift. That is the giving of your covenant to them. Or that is the implication of your covenant to them. That when you say, I take you unto myself. And I will do these things. You're saying to them, I will give to you the top of my priority and my possibility. Give more than necessary. This is, this is the story of happy marriages. Where, where the, the, the husband or the wife is constantly amazed at, at, the, at the quality of the gifts. At the quality of the gift, of the time, or the attention, or whatever resource it is that we are able to put in, give more than necessary. Give better quality to your husband or your wife than you would give to anywhere else. You've heard me say this before. You've heard this. You've heard others say this before. But it is the shame and the sadness, and it is the um, downfall of many marriages that that what the the spouse gets is the leftovers after everybody else has gotten what they are offered by, by the wife or by the husband. That, in other words, you can, you can enjoy being nice to a hundred people and then when you come home and you're an old grouch, what you're doing is you're giving your spouse the leftovers. And things that you can gladly do and do offer gladly to other people, you come home and very grudgingly, Give them to your husband or give those to your wife. To give more than necessary. Like, like Rebecca in the Old Testament story. When the servant of Abraham came. And he came to the well. And the, 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 the ladies was at the well. And he said, I'm going to ask one of them to water for a drink. And see what their response is. And he said, can I have a drink? And Rebecca, who later married his master's son Isaac. Said, sure, I'll give you a drink. Can I water your camels as well? Can I do more for you than you ever thought I, that you would even want to ask? Because I'd be glad to water your I don't know if any of you ever watered camels, but it's definitely going overboard. So when your husband asks you if you would do something, or your wife, say, Yeah, and can I water your camels too? Can I can I can I help you out more? than you would have thought. That is giving your best. Here's the ultimate ultimate reality that I'm heading toward. Here's the ultimate reality that God is asking for in this picture in the book of Malachi. To these priests and these people that were disgusting Him. By bringing what they could get away with. And that is that he realized they were not giving themselves to him. That's why they were saying, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, when, when he said, you're saying that my altar is contemptible. He was accusing them of saying, well, it matters what I'd give at work because I'm, I'm, I'm assessed. I get, you know, I go through an assessment every year. It matters what I give to, at church or in the community uh, or at school because I get grades based on what I give or I get, you know, job review based on what I give. So these things matter. Oh, but it don't really matter what I give at home. That's what the Lord is accusing them of. You're saying, eh, it's, a, it's contemptible. It's, it really doesn't make any... God don't care what you give Him, just bring in a sacrifice. And the Lord's saying, no, no, you got it wrong. It's like saying a husband or a wife. It don't really matter whether their mate really really gives themselves to them or not. But it does. Someone said this, and I'm done. Marriage is not a noun. Marriage is a verb. And here's why I put this quote on here. A noun is something you get. Verb is something you do. Now, that's not grammatically technically correct. But you get the picture. You know what they're saying? That marriage isn't something you get. Now we say, I get married. I'm going to go get married. And we think of it sort of as, I, I get something. I get a wife. I get a husband. I get a partner. I get a protector. I get a mechanic. I get a cook. I get whatever. And maybe you do if you're lucky. Maybe you don't. Uh Get any of those particular kinds of things. But it's not about something you get. She's saying that's not what marriage is. Marriage is something you do. Where you offer yourself to this person. And in partnership. And in giving. Heavenly Father. Take these uh, thoughts. These words. These ideas. And and lift our, lift our marriages up. And transform each of our own. Hearts as it is needed to be done, we pray. We thank you for the vision that that there's a greater way to live than self-centeredly. And there's in the diversity and the partnership of marriage, there is something that transcends and, and ascends higher than any of the equal of the two partners separately. This is your model and your pattern to us and we take it with great gratitude and and honor today through Christ our Lord. Amen.